Well, he came barging into our reception office where I was talking with our administrative assistant in my previous church in Atlanta. He began with a very raised voice, with an intimidating voice, speaking as loudly as he could without shouting right at me. He walked toward me and uh, was literally in my face. And he said, you want to murder Jews. You want another holocaust. I won't tell you what I wanted to do at that moment. (laughs) And I will always be thankful God kept me from doing what naturally I wanted to do. But what I did was, because I wanted to protect our secretary from whatever was about to happen, wisely or unwisely, I said, come to my office. And so we went into my office, closed the door, locked it. No, I didn't lock it, but... (laughs) And then there was the rest of the discussion. What would cause such an ugly scene to take place? I'm going to tell you more about it in a minute. But as we read our passage for today, I want to just remind you that in in Romans 11... The Apostle Paul has addressed for Jews and Gentiles the issues that they were facing with one another. Last week we we saw how he used the olive tree as as a, a view of his kingdom and how the Gentiles had been grafted in. And so we pick up with verse 25 of Romans 11, where he says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion and He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, and as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also may uh, now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray that you would teach us from this passage that seems so very specific in terms of of your people, of of Israel, and yet we know you saw fit to preserve it so that we would read it today and study it today, and so we're asking that your Holy Spirit would apply it uh, to our lives, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to get back to that opening story in a minute. Just when you thought you knew everything about me, right? So let's jump right into this, uh, this passage where he, Paul now talks about a mystery. Verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what, what is the mystery that he's talking about? First of all, let me, let me tell you what it's not, because in, in that day there were, and we have them in our day as well, but uh, what they would call the mystery religions. And uh, they, it would be the, the kind of thing where uh, it was... Uh, necessary to, as it were, know the secrets in order to be able to uh, enjoy the benefits of that particular uh, religion. This is not what he is talking about here. Here Paul is is speaking of something that basically, it's, it's, it's rather simple, it's something that once was hidden that is now being revealed. So, it's, it's something that is, is new, that hadn't been explained before, but is about to be uh, explained. So what's the mystery that he's talking about? Well, it has several components. Um, one is that presently, this is in their present, there is a partial, partial hardening of Israel, now, here he's talking, he's not talking about spiritual Israel where it had been defined earlier, where we are the, the true Israel. It's, it's evident that he's talking about uh, physical Israel, uh, ethnic Israel, uh, if you will. He's talking about the Jews, and uh, he is saying that uh, right now, at, at that point, and by the way, the reality is we're still at that point. 
But there, there's a, a partial hardening. Now, remember, I want, I want you to remember two things about that because earlier we had talked about that, how he had said, look, it, it's not a total hardening. Uh, he pointed to himself. He said, I'm a Jew and I'm in Christ. And there's also a remnant of Jews that are in Christ. So it, it, it wasn't and won't ever be a total hardening. But I want you also to remember what we looked at in, in previous weeks in terms of what a hardening is. It, it's not a matter of uh, God saying to someone who really wants a relationship with him, no, you can't. I'm going to harden you. But rather, uh, we saw earlier the, the illustration of the potter and the clay. And we saw how that even illustrated a hardening. What happens when you're, when you're working uh, clay? We, we might think of it on a wheel, for instance. Uh, when you're working it, you've got to be constantly working it, putting water on it and so on, keeping it moist. What does it take to harden it? The only thing it takes to harden that clay is to remove your hands. Quit preserving it. And so that's what we see when he, God uh, talks about uh, a hardening on his behalf. Over in, Rome, in you know, the first chapter of Romans, Romans 1, it talks about how he gave them over basically to go the way they wanted to go. And so that's what it's talking about. So that's the first part of uh, the mystery. There's presently a partial hardening of ethnic Israel. Secondly, it's during this part of history that the full number of Gentiles will be saved. So if, if you don't have any Jewish blood, if you would, would have been considered a Gentile, be thankful. Because it's, it's during this era, as it were, that he's going to bring in the full number of Gentiles. Now, there's different ways that could happen. The way it's happened so far is every year, every month, every day, there are more and more uh, coming to Christ. Or it could be a, a vast conversion at some point. And then things will change. We don't, we don't know uh, what it will be. What we do know is that all of those who are going to come in will come in during this, this era, this segment of time. And then thirdly, in this mystery, God is going, going to do a new work among the Jews then at that point. Again, it's not clear whether there will be a, a time where the Jews who have been so resistant will become more and more open to Jesus. That's possible. And, and then it could be a gradual coming in on their part, or it could be some kind of a, a revival, uh, a mass conversion uh, of Jews. We just simply don't know. It doesn't make it clear. But we know that something's going to happen where there will be many who will come in. 
So he talks about uh, the, the fullness of the Gentiles. What is that fullness? So let me give you the, the picture again of uh, the, the olive tree. Remember, we have the olive tree representing the kingdom. And uh, God begins with uh, the olive tree was basically the Jewish people. And then they apostatized. They went away from him. They rebelled against him. They rejected him over and over again until ultimately those natural branches that, that were uh, ethnic Israel, were the Jews, were cut off. And then during that time, as we're seeing here, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And many of them turn to Christ. And so, they are this wild shoot over here. And they are taken and they are grafted into this olive tree to where they become a natural part of it and a fruit-bearing part of the kingdom. And then it says when the last of those are grafted in, that's when there'll be a work among the Jews. So, <clears throat> since we can't know exactly how this is going to be fulfilled, and some of you are wondering, okay, so I, I hear you. What in the world does this have to do with us? We've got to look at, since we can't know the specifics of it, we've got to look at uh, the application here. Uh, and here's the application. He says this, I'm telling you this so that you Gentiles don't think that you're wise in your own sight. So here's at least a part of the application. Obviously, there's, there's a problem with that in the church because Paul keeps addressing, he addresses the Jews not to be arrogant. He addresses the Gentiles, don't be arrogant. So evidently, arrogance is an issue well, it was back then, probably not now, right? And yet this was preserved for us. And so we've got to continually come back to that and know this. Here's why there can't be an arrogance, why it is never appropriate to be prideful inside the church. Because when it comes to salvation... The focus should never be on those who are saved, but on the Savior Himself. Get it? So it shouldn't be about me because I'm saved. It should be the amazement of the Savior, the hound of heaven that came after me even when I was resistant. Even when I was an enemy, he came after me. And whenever, whenever the focus is on me in the church, whenever that glory is misplaced, there is spiritual danger. And that's the warning here. So Paul goes on to state this. He gives the explanation, verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. 
and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So what does this mean? All Israel will be saved. What does that uh, salvation mean? Well, he, he explains it by saying, as it's written, and then he takes them back to the Old Testament uh, to give them the explanation. When he says the deliverer will come from Zion, he'll, he'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So here's what the, the, the Jews need to know. Here's what Gentiles need to know, but especially the Jews who can take away their sins. Not the, not the blood of bulls or goats, not the sacrifice of, of sheep or lambs or bread or anything else. None of that can take away their sins. He points them uh, not to those things, but to those things foreshadowing the only one that can take away their sins. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what he points them to. Their only, absolute, only hope. And he says this, all Israel will be saved. Okay, what do we mean here? Well, this is one of those words in Scripture where uh, we have to ask the question, and we're not playing games here in terms of semantics or anything like that, but does all mean all in the sense of every single individual? That's probably the better way to ask it. Not does all mean all, but does all mean every single person? So if that were the case, he would be saying every single Jew who is in the world at that time would be saved. But here's the problem with interpreting it that way. We know that there are places in the Scripture where the, the word all doesn't necessarily mean every single individual. Let me give you just one example. There are many. In Luke 2.1, we read it at Christmas. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, does that mean every single individual in the whole world? No. It can't mean that. It meant the people in the Roman world at that point. It didn't mean every single individual. And by the way, we, we talk that way all the time, and we know what we're saying when, when we talk that way. All of the University of South Carolina celebrated when the women won the national championship. Does that mean every single student in the university? Well, of course not. There were some graduate students in the library that didn't hear about it, right? But we know what we're saying when we use that kind of a phrase. One commentator puts it this way. All Israel 
is a recurring expression in Jewish literature where it need not mean every Jew without a single exception, but it means Israel as a whole. So that's what it's, it's saying. What it, what it probably, probably means is that a, a huge portion, the vast majority of Israel, of, of the ethnic Jews, will come to Christ. So there is a big plan, and it will be most of them. So what's this mean to us by way of application in terms of how, how we should view the Jew? Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. I told you the beginning of a story earlier where, where I was the enemy. Let me go back to that and explain how it got to that point. That was a Monday morning when he came bursting in our office. What had happened prior to that was that uh, at our church we had uh, engaged uh, a group called Jews for Jesus to come to our church. And they were going to do Christ in the Passover and they did that on, on Sunday night. We've done something similar here. And we advertised in the paper the week before in order to get people from the community to come. And there was at least one from the community there. What happened the night before was in the middle of the service when the, the Jews for Jesus evangelist was up in the front and he was presenting the message is that same man had jumped up and began shouting at him. And the evangelist began shouting back at him. And so I stood up and I watched them shout at each other. And eventually, the man left. We resumed the service and got through it until the next morning when he came in. By the way, even before he got there the next morning, I got a call from California from the Jews for Jesus headquarters, and they couldn't have been happier. They love those kinds of things. Whenever there's a big confrontation, they are convinced that, that God is, is working. And I say, well, I'm glad you feel that way. So. <laughs> and then, uh, so, take you back to the story we got in my office, and he continued to talk. And I was praying and asking God to help me to keep self-control and and I let him talk for a while. And here's what he said. You want to kill Jews. You want another Holocaust. And I said, what do you mean? I don't want that. And he said, here's why you want that. Because if a Jew comes to Jesus and becomes a Christian, he is no longer a Jew. He is dead. And that's what you want. You want them to be dead. 
I let him talk for a while. And I, I said to him, in as low a tone as I could, I said, can I ask you some questions? And he quieted down. And I said, first of all, I, I don't want any Jew to die. That's not the point of what we are doing here. And I, I asked him then, can you imagine that I could be sincere in my heart and believe that what Jesus says is true? He conceded, I suppose you could be. And I said, well, it's Jesus that has told us that we are to share him with everybody. And it's not death that we want. It's eternal life. Can you just for a moment imagine that, that I could be sincere in that and not be hateful and not want the murder of any Jews? Well, our conversation went on. He didn't want to concede that. But he agreed, at least he understood why we would do that. At one point when he was shouting, he said, I could have hundreds, if you do this again, I can have hundreds of Jews out in front of your church and I can keep you out of Israel. And at that moment, I didn't really want to go to Israel. <laughs> Just at that moment. So do you see how, how there is this uh, enemy feeling between the Jew and why there, there is, a, a, in their, their view, a threat? And so this isn't just some one person who cares about another sharing Christ, but they see it in a whole different way. And, and that's what he's describing here. As regards the gospel, they are enemies. But then he goes on and says, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And so, the bottom line is, we don't give up on Jews. We don't give up hope, even if we are perceived as the enemy. And here's why, according to Paul, verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So here's the point. I was in the same plight as the Jews. And so were you before Christ. And that's what he's saying. But God in his infinite mercy reached out and gave me, and if you're in Christ, gave you a new heart 
while you were an enemy. So we should evangelize. We should aggressively evangelize the Jewish nation as we should every nation. Susan Perlman, a Christian missionary to the Jews, recently wrote, A subtle form of anti-Semitism is to deny Jewish people a hearing of the gospel and not care about their eternal destiny. And you know, when they treat you like an enemy, you can fall into that. We must always be careful. So, let me give you a side note, because I told you I would in the city. What about politically? Should we always side with Israel? Should we always side with them in world affairs? Well, first of all, there is no room for anti-Semitism, for being anti-Israel, anti-Jew. There is no room for that from a Christian perspective. But secondly, Christians must not blindly support Israel just because they're Israel. Not if they do wrong. Siding with Israel is not the same as siding with God. I see TV evangelists say that often. Whatever Israel does is right, and that's not the case at this point. We should be discerning as a country and not blindly be allies with anyone. If they do injustice to anyone, including Arabs or anyone else, then they should be called on it from a Christian perspective. So how should we view others who are outside the kingdom? And here's the further application. Just like with, with the Jews, number one, whether you know any Jewish people or not, you know people outside the kingdom. There's no room for a lack of love toward the lost. Any more than there's room for anti-Semitism, there is no room for a lack of love for the lost. Secondly, there is hope for the lost. And when you lose hope, listen to Paul, where he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. He's saying this. When you're tempted to give up hope on someone else, remember you were disobedient and he saved you. No one is beyond the reach of his grace. Let's bow together. Lord, these are complicated things. 
And yet, your grace and your mercy is true for all. We thank you for that free offer of the gospel. Help us, Lord, always to have hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.